It is good for us to come together today to be in the activity of fitting ourselves for service above, taking the necessary time to be holy and to do the things that the Lord has asked us to do. These are commandments of our God to come together on the Lord's day to worship, but it is also a privilege to be together. And we count it a privilege to be with you this morning. We have individuals who are visiting with us who are new to our community or new to this congregation, and we're thankful for your presence. invite you to take a Bible, to follow along, to read, as we're going to look at a a few passages this morning that I think will help us to understand uh, what we're trying to get across in a very application-driven lesson and sermon today. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, to the first book of the New Testament, we're going to look there at a very familiar text at the latter part of Matthew chapter 7. You know, if you uh, look around, all of us uh, are sitting, at least most of you are sitting, I'm not, but I was sitting a few moments ago. And we are sitting not on seats as we typically call them, though we may call them that, but we generally call them the pews. And that's because that's what they are. And there are about 48 or so of them in this building. I didn't take the time to count them all, uh, but there are about 48 of them in this auditorium. And that is a very common thing that you see in church buildings where churches gather together. We know that the church is not a building. It is not a a physical structure. And that if we were sitting on the floor or sitting in chairs or sitting on benches without cushions, as some of you have done in other buildings, it doesn't matter where you sit or whether you sit at all. uh, What matters is that we come together to worship our God. But if you think about the pews on which we sit, there are various things that we learn from them. You may say, well, how in the world can we learn anything from an inanimate object that I just rest on for the course of uh, an hour or two Sundays and an hour or so on Wednesdays? I think there are a lot of things that we learn from the seats on which we sit. And I want to start by looking at an historic a little venue of pews, and then I want us to make a series of three or four or five observations about what we learn from pews today. When you think about pews past and present, when you think about the seats that we sit on when we come together to worship on occasions like this, you may find it surprising that the idea of seated benches that are long enough for four, five, six, seven people to sit on, depending on their length, is mostly a post-16th century concept. And so the idea of going into a building like this uh, and seeing these kinds of seats would have been a little bit surprising 500 years ago. But over the last four to 600 years, it has become something that has been commonplace. You may also find it surprising, from a historical point of view, if you like history, that when you think about pews, that they were intended initially as a way to separate classes of people. And so you would have the rich section, and you would have the not-so-rich section, and you'd have the very poor section, and maybe you'd have a balcony section in a larger building for people that couldn't afford, because it was also, as you may or may not know, used as a fundraising uh, campaign. You would rent a pew at a particular church, and you would say, well, that's my pew. I'm paying for it. So you get out of my seat, right? So no, that, that's, 
that's, we have our pews that we, we sit on and pews that we are associated with. But the fact of the matter is, is in the olden days, and we're talking 150 to 200 years ago, was used to raise funds in a local congregation. These days, it's almost understood as an automatic part of what we do. And, and so we say we're going to build a church building. Well, we, we've got to have pews. Well, that's not necessarily true. We could sit, I'll, I'll have folding chairs and sit on that. But this is an organized way to make for and to make for some semblance of order when we come together. But rather than just the seats that we sit on at church services, and I put that in quotes, the idea of seats at church, I believe that there's a number of things that we can learn. Let me suggest to you five very applicable things about pews that they teach us. Whether they are empty or whether they are full, they teach us something. And one of those is that pew sitting isn't enough. And that's what we're doing together today. Now, before you say, well, you said it's not enough, so I'm going to leave. That's not what I'm suggesting. I am suggesting, though, that as we, I think, all agree, that merely being in a building that is a church building, a meeting house, isn't enough. Consider this question. And it's a very basic question, and and it's one that comes with a rather obvious answer. And that is, can a person sit in a pew every Sunday and yet not be faithful to God. So just ponder that for three seconds. And the obvious answer that we all agree to is that it's yes, that's possible. A person can sit here and listen to a sermon. A person can listen to all the songs. A person can hear the good words of Brother Shane when he talks about the Lord's Supper and about the idea of the resurrection of Jesus and listen to Bible classes and be here 52 times a year or 104 times a year if you come Sunday morning and Sunday evening and still not be faithful to our Lord. Consider, if you would, two passages, and that's why I've asked you to open to Matthew chapter 7, and then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 15 in just a moment. Let's read these two passages here. First of all, in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, now this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now this is at the tail end of the great sermon on the mountaintop where Jesus is drawing to a close. And he is saying to some of the earliest recipients of the gospel message or uh, of that which would begin the gospel message. It's not a matter of just talking about spiritual things. You have to live them out. You can't just sit on the pew and expect that to be enough. Well, turn over five or six pages in your Bibles to the scripture reading in Matthew chapter 15 and verses 7 and 3, 11. And I really want to just highlight the quotation from the book of Isaiah in verses 8 and 9, where here he says, some people or these people or the hypocritical people, they draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips But their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, given what we've talked about in those two familiar texts, Matthew 7 and Matthew 15, I want you to 
uh, consider these phrases. And I'm going to come up with four phrases. And I'm taking a little bit of liberty with Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15 to kind of highlight the point that I'm trying to make that I think we already agree to. And the first of those phrases is this. Not everyone who sits on a pew shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's not what Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15 says. But that's what Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew 15 says, right? That's exactly what it's saying. Not everyone who sits on a pew, who shows up at services, who sings the songs, who listens to the sermons, not everyone is going to go to heaven. Or many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we went to church all the time. And you know, I've talked to people, and you have too, who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s and even older than that. And they say, well, I've been going to church my entire life. Now, their life is not living as a Christian should based on everything that we can see. And there's no fruits of repentance. But they go to church all the time where they grew up on a pew, so to speak. That's not good enough. Jesus might say today, these people sit on pews often, but their heart is far from me. Can you sit on a pew and have your heart far from God? And the obvious answer is again, yes, that is possible. And the fourth thing is we are defiled when we always come to church and sit on a pew, but we never live out Christianity. So you see where I played with Matthew 7 and Matthew 15 about the pews. And you could do that with a lot of things that have religious overtones to them. So I'm here to submit that pew sitting isn't enough. And I think we all agree on that. But at the same time, there may be someone who is here this morning who says, well, you know what? I'm here. I'm I'm investing my hour or two hours of my week here. That should be good enough. I'm here to suggest to you that the scriptures teach that that's not quite enough. That's a good start. And we're glad that you're here. And we don't want you to leave. But there's more to it than that. And that's because we get to the second thing, and that is pew sitting is mandatory. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to sit on a pew. Again, you could sit on the floor, you sit on a chair, you could stand the whole time, you could do whatever you need to do, or whatever that particular location has in terms of seating arrangements. But sitting in a church pew every Sunday doesn't make you a Christian. You should be a Christian every day, not just on the Lord's day. Now, I think we all agree to that. However, depending on the tone with which you make that statement or read that statement, it can be a little bit jaded or a little bit shaded. And I say that because sometimes this true statement is used by individuals who are attempting to say, my attendance may not be what you want it to be, but that's not what I'm going to be judged by. I've run into people who, who have very poor attendance. They may show up once every four weeks, once every six weeks, or they may say, oh, I'll be there every other month, and I'll show up and check the box, and that way the elders stay off my back, and at least they see me, and the preacher doesn't call me up uh, or send me a note or send me a text asking where I was. But the fact of the matter is, is it is mandatory that you are here What do the scriptures say? Let me share with you two passages that I think we can learn a lot from. One of those is a passage that we looked at in our Bible class this morning, but I want to go back and reread Acts 20 and verse 7. It's a very familiar text to many who are present here this morning. But it says, on the first day of the week, 
which is today. Today is the first day of the week. Today is the Lord's day. Today is what we call Sunday. The first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. And Brother Bruce made a really good observation in our Bible class this morning about the real thrust of why we are here this morning and why we come together on the first day of the week is to do what Brother Shane walked us through just a few moments ago in partaking of the Lord's Supper. That is paramount to who we are and what we are. And I think we would all have a sense of something doesn't feel right if we come together and we sing three, four, five songs and we, we pray together and we have a nice sermon and maybe we drop our check off in the basket and that's all we do. Because I left out something that was very significant. In fact, the very reason that we've come together today. And so you'd say, well, wait a minute. Something's not right here. It doesn't feel right because it's not right. And we would be right to say that it's important for us to come together to break bread. But it says Paul was ready to depart the next day. What did he do? He spoke to them. He preached. And we speculated. Brother Brian did this morning. And I thought made a very good point that he probably talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This single verse highlights that early Christians assembled on the Lord's day to worship God. Now, they may not have been sitting in pews. They may have been just sitting in chairs or on benches in the corner. They, uh, in, a, in a situation where you are inside or outside, it may dictate the kinds of seats on which that you sit. But this verse illustrates that these early Christians assembled on the Lord's day because being at services is mandatory. Let me suggest to you a second passage that, again, we are very familiar with in the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, let us consider one another or let us be aware of one another in order to stir up love and good works. You know, someone once said that I don't want you to provoke me. But we are, if you read from other versions of Matthew 10, 24, supposed to be provokers of one another in a good way. We provoke one another to love and good works. We come together and we see one another and we are reminded of the various things that we are supposed to be doing in service to our Lord. And one of the ways that we do that is by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, of our fellow saints, as is the manner of some but rather exhorting one another and encouraging one another. So when we see each other walk through the door or see, you sit, see someone sit down next to the pew next to us, we are encouraged by their presence. We are encouraged and say, I'm glad you're here. I haven't seen you in two, three, four, five, six days, whatever it may be. And I've missed you because we are a spiritual family. And I've said this so many different times in so many different places that whether it's fair or unfair, sometimes we are closer to and get more excited about seeing our spiritual family than we even do our physical family because of the strains that come with life on earth. But the spiritual family with whom we have a relationship is an important one. And these early Christians were commanded to be considerate of one another. And so pew sitting, being here, Being at services on a regular basis is not just advisable, it is mandatory in the sense that failing to attend services on a regular basis is inconsiderate and the opposite of what we are commanded to do. And we all know of individuals who would love to be here, but they cannot because they're confined at home on a regular basis. 
We have a handful of members today who uh, will probably be here next week that aren't here because of procedures. We have individuals who are here who just had procedures and aren't feeling the best. But yet they're still here, and we appreciate their presence. And what an encouragement that is to us to have that transpiring. Let me suggest to you that there's a third thing that we learned from pews, and that is that everyone matters. Every Christian is valuable. And every non-Christian, if you're here, you are valuable as well. You're valuable in the sense that you are encouraging us because even though you may not be a child of God, you care about something spiritual or your parents are raising you that way or your spouse has suggested that you should be here. And we are glad that you are here. Remember we said just a few moments ago that at one point, pew selection and location was actually used to distinguish classes. So you'd have the upper class, the good seats, and you would have the middle class, and then you'd have the lower class Christians. Well, such a tradition is anti-biblical and anti-everything that Jesus would teach. Remember, Jesus would actually say that the last would be the first and the first would be the last. It was Jesus who would teach that you don't go for the best seats in the synagogue So he taught all these principles. Let me share with you a passage that uh, you may not have read in quite some time. Maybe you have, depending on where you're reading right now. But that is in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are almost always grouped together in a trio. And that's okay. It's good as we try to memorize uh, different themes of biblical books. 12, 13, 14 are all about spiritual gifts. And smack dab in the middle is chapter 13, which is the chapter that we are the most familiar with out of all of 1 Corinthians and the world is most familiar with because of everything that it deals with when it talks about charity or agape love. Well, in chapter 12, I want to read about seven verses here uh, and think about it from the perspective of a local congregation. Verse 12 says, as the body is one, and we know that the body is the church and the church is the body as illustrated by other passages in Paul's letters. As the church is one and has many members, all the members of that one church being many are one church, so also is Christ. And I'm taking some liberty with the language here to illustrate my point. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body or one church, whether baptized Uh, Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. I think those last four words are really paramount. That God has given us talents and given us abilities and has put us in our proper places in the body, whether that be in a universal sense as members of the Lord's church or in this local congregation or whatever congregation you are part of, as he pleased. A song leader cannot say, I am better than the preacher. A preacher cannot say, I'm better than the classroom cleaner. The person who cleans classrooms cannot say that I am superior to the person who, who sweeps in, uh, uh, in the entryway. 
We all have jobs to do. We all have something to do, whether it be with this particular facility, whether it be with our public services that we have when we come together, whether it be in your private consideration of your brothers and sisters through text messages, through writing of notes, through making calls, through sending flowers, through doing all the things that we do and that you all do on a regular basis. The fact is, is we need to understand that no two saints are the same. And every person sitting on a pew today is valuable. And it doesn't matter what your abilities are or are not. And don't get so caught up on the things that you can't do that you forget about the things that you can do. And if you're here this morning and you think, I don't think I can do anything, then please come to someone that you respect, maybe sitting next to you on the pew, and say, what is it that I do well? Because I can't find anything that I do well. And I can guarantee you that we will find something that you do well that you may not think you're doing well. Because you are important. Because everyone is valuable. And just as the Lord pleased, the fact is, is God planned it that way. Because every member is valuable. You matter. And if you are not a Christian... You need to strongly consider becoming a child of God, given the fact that you can be more valuable, more useful, more utilized in the work of this congregation, but more importantly in the kingdom in a general or universal generic sense as well. Let me suggest you a fourth thing, and that is look around, and we don't have very many of them, which is a good sign, but see if you would the empty pews. And see the empty spots on the pews. Now, again, that's a good thing that we don't have lots of empty pews. That doesn't mean that there's not still work for us to do. But you understand the point that I'm trying to make. And that is that empty pews or empty spots or empty seats should always be seen as a reminder that we remember two very important things. One of those is this, and this is a very sobering thing. And I understand that this is not the most encouraging thing necessarily to suggest. But there are some who no longer sit in a certain spot because they gave up. There are maybe literal spots where you look at in this building and you say, he used to sit there or she used to sit there. Step one is to do this, and that is to know who was sitting there. And that's going to be something that some of you know about better than others. Maybe they're your family. Maybe they're your children. Maybe they're your parents. Maybe they're your siblings. Maybe they were your close friends. Maybe they were your your pew mates, so to speak. They were the ones that you were with, and now they're no longer here. And this church is no different than any congregation that has existed for the last 2,000 years in that There are people that a year ago, two years ago, or maybe five years ago used to attend here regularly, but now they've given up. They say, I'm not interested in going to church services anymore. I'm no longer interested in doing the spiritual things that I once did. Reminds me of two passages that I wanted us to just briefly look at, one in Romans and one in Ephesians, and that is Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. Where it says, we being many are one body in Christ and individually we are members of one another. That's one of those one another statements that is made. And you can do a a whole list of sermons on the one another's that transpire. But I love verse 5. It says, we are individually members of one another. So when one person is no longer here, 
it causes us to say, I sure miss her. I sure miss him. I, I wish that that person didn't give up on his or her faith. Let me suggest you another passage here in the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite places in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, where in verse 25 it says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. And then notice the second half of verse 25. It says, For we are members of one another. We have a relationship with one another. You know, if we were to go and read Romans 12 even further on down, They would say, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And that means that we share camaraderie with one another. The point is simply this. I have to see that someone's not there. And so there are places, there are are still plenty of seats before we have to build a bigger building. We still have plenty of room for us to expand our membership or to invite people or to wish for individuals who used to be here to come back. Step number two is this. Step number one is to recognize there's no longer a person sitting there. Bob's not there anymore, or, or, or Betty's not there anymore, or Sharon's not there anymore, whoever the case may be. Step two is to go after them and to do everything we can to bring them back. And that's a difficult thing to do. It reminds me of Luke chapter 15, verses 4 and verses 7 through 10, where it talks about the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the son and of the forgiving father who goes after or, 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 or who it tells us to go after and seek those people. Same, similarly, as is taught in James chapter 5 in those last two verses, where James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, can, can I take some liberty with James 5? If any one of you looks and sees that the pew is empty where someone used to sit, and you turn him back and bring him back, let him know that he turns a sinner from error of his way, will save his soul from death, and cover a multitude of sins. You see, we have the great capacity within ourselves to bring people back. It is not us who saves But it is us who brings people to the salvation of Jesus the Christ. So the fact of the matter is, if there is someone that grows weak and gives up, that person is going to have to answer for that. I think we all agree that when when Bob or Sharon or Betty or whoever these fictional people that we're bringing up, when they stand before God on the day of judgment, they will have to give an answer for the way they've lived and for the fact that they're no longer sitting on the pew. No longer worshiping our God together. But let me suggest to you this, and that is, if we fail to try to help, we'll answer for that. It goes back to Ezekiel 33 that Brother Brian talked about, that if I warn someone about the truth and they do not do what is right, they'll have to answer for it. But I have, for intents and purposes, I have absolved myself. I did what I could to try to warn them. But if I see someone in error and I do not turn them back, I'll have to answer for that as well. That's one of the reasons why Paul said that let not many of you, or James says, let not many of you become teachers because of the stricter judgment with which you will be associated. Well, let me suggest to you as we think about the empty pews, that empty spots remind us that we need to fill them. Well, Romans chapter 10, we won't take the time to go and read that familiar text where it says that... Those that hear the word, 
that they must hear it in the sense of having been exposed to it. You remember where Paul would famously say that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God and how shall they hear unless someone's going to share that message with them? We must want others to hear because we want others to have faith. And we want others to have faith means that we want them to hear. Those two things work in tandem with each other. Let me suggest to you finally on this particular point that every Christian needs to have the mindset of what Paul would write to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 16. He says, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me. The point that Paul seems to be making here is, you know, you may look at me and say, well, he sure likes to preach. He sure likes to live his life righteously. He sure likes to invite people to study. He sure likes to be engaged in spiritual things. He says, well, big deal. That should be the case. He says in verse 16, part B, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And that is a responsibility that David and I have. But let me suggest to you that that's not just our responsibility. And I think we all agree on that. We've got to put into practice the idea of trying to share with others so that the pews are not empty. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that we fill the pews with just anybody and everybody. Although we want anybody and everybody to come to the truth. Because all need to be saved. It's not about filling the pews to make ourselves feel better and say, well, well running out of room. That's a great thing to have. It's a great problem to have, but we're not doing it just so for the, for the sake of numbers. We're doing it for the sake of souls that need to be saved. And then let me suggest to you fifthly and finally that there's a lesson that we learn when we leave the pews, when we go home, when the building is locked up and the lights are turned off and the air conditioning goes off and we all go back to our separate places of living There's a lesson for us. When we leave church, and I put that in quotes because we we talk about that in in very uh, unformal terms. But when we leave the church building, when we forget about spiritual things, and we get distracted by the world that's around us, there are a couple of things that we need to do. Let me suggest to you four and then a bonus thing. Number one is this. Remind yourself that you're valuable for what you can do and not for what you can't do. Remember, you have some ability. And I, and I mean this seriously. If you do not know what your ability is, I guarantee you there's something that the elders or that your, uh, your pew partners or that someone that is near you can say, you are good at and fill in the blank. And I can share with you, I can say with absolute confidence that I can answer that question about each and every person that is present here today. Because everybody has some value that they bring to the table and some value that you bring to the pew. Secondly, when someone isn't, quote, at church, and I use that in quotes again, find out why. Be observant. Uh, I've told the story before of the woman who years ago, before she would eat lunch on Sunday afternoon, whether that be out at a restaurant or at her home or whatever, she'd go into the room and she'd, she'd have her list of the three to four people that were missing that she didn't know why they were missing. She, not sick or traveling, uh, but, well, the Smiths aren't here today and the Joneses aren't here today, and I don't know why they're not here. And before she would eat, she'd make those calls. These days, you can even make those texts. She didn't have the luxury back then, did she? But we have such a luxury of being able to quickly communicate with one another. Why is this person not here? I'm concerned about them. And there are people who aren't here this morning that I, I don't know why they're not here. 
Chances are they're probably traveling or not feeling well or a child has gotten sick or something like that. But let's check on them and say the pew where you normally sit, it looked empty today because I missed you today. And let's share that with them. Number three, look if you would at the picture directory that you have on your phone or read through the church directory that, is, that you have printed at home. And note someone who isn't here anymore because even though we update that directory fairly well and we're appreciative of the deacons that do that work, sometimes it takes a couple of weeks for someone who hasn't, or sometimes longer, for a person to to get out of that directory. So go through and look and say, huh, I haven't seen that person in quite some time. There are people in the directory that we haven't seen in some time. And it may not be because they are in error. I'm not suggesting that. It may be. But it may be that they have just been so sick and we, we have because we get so caught up in our world and we get so busy that we just kind of forgot about them for a few weeks or a few months. And look out for them and find out why we miss you. The, the building, it looks better when you're there. And number four, pick at least one person this week to invite to church services or to study, or engage in a spiritual conversation, and try to make that a habit each week so that you can share that message of the gospel with others so that that pew spot next to you can be filled with them. Let me suggest you a bonus one, and that is if there's someone on your pew that you don't know, that you haven't met, or sitting in front of you, or sitting behind you. Let me share with you this advice, and that is get to know them yet today. And if you're visiting with us as we began and as we came to a close, you are indeed an honored guest of ours, and we appreciate the fact that you've chosen to be here. And we hope that you'll have opportunity to get to know us as we have opportunity to get to know you, because there's a lot that we learn from these seats. And I hope this has been helpful to you as it has been helpful to me. Someone once said, well, you stepped on my toes. I generally try to step on my own as well in areas where I can improve and try to make positive changes. If you're here and you're not a Christian and there's a very good chance that there are at least a few people who are not children of God, we are asking you to strongly consider not just sitting on a pew. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that that pew is filled. We're glad to see you, but we want you to become a child of God by being baptized. And then we'll look forward to seeing you all the time and having that relationship with you going forward. If that's something that you're ready to do, the Bible says believe and be baptized. Have your sins washed away in Mark 16, 16 or in 1 Peter 3, 21. If you are a child of God and you're not living correctly and you need to make some sort of a public correction, we'd be happy to help you. Uh, We are not here to embarrass anyone. We are here to encourage everyone. And if that means you coming forward saying, you know what, I've got some areas in my life that need some sort of correction, that need some sort of uh, changing, we would be happy to help you with that. And if it's something that's private, take the time where we're going to sing for the next three to four minutes and pray to God for forgiveness. Ask him to be with you and forgive you and confess your wrong to him and he will strengthen you and he has promised to forgive you. If we can help you in any way, we'd love the opportunity while we stand and while we sing.